To say that Janet and I are thrilled to be here is an understatement. I have already had a almost like a, a reunion. Uh, the Higdon girls are here in my land, some of those I've not seen for uh, many years, known them since uh, probably they were a knee-high to a grasshopper, and they're tall now. It's always good to get to come to Northside, not only to be able to preach to a gathering of this nature, but also because of the friendships that have been formed and uh, over the decades of years, I would be remiss if I even began to try to name uh, the people that I've known and who have loved me and my family and supported us. Uh, just thank you. But uh, I want to challenge us now with a thought. Revive my soul. Now, that's a thought that you find in Scripture. You just uh, read, uh, heard the reading, Psalm 85. If you will look at verse 6 of that Scripture reading, you will find it says, Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? I've got uh, two other passages that I want to add to that. Isaiah 57 and verse 15 says, For this is what the high and lofty one says, He who lives forever, whose name is Holy, I lived in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. And then Hosea 6, verses 1 and 2. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us. He will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bandage us. He will revive us again. So you can see that this is a very biblical topic. It's something that is found uh, repeatedly, that God wants to revive his people. Many of our songs address this also. If you would look on page two of your songbook, You'll find it says, we praise thee, O God, and then it ends saying, revive us again. Revive us again. And then there's another song, number 567. I really would like for you to turn to that one. I've got a copy of it before me. Sometimes reading slowly, and I appreciated the song reader this morning, uh, what you said about, you know, let's do this slowly and thoughtfully. I definitely agree. Uh, you'll find that three very similar words are used in the three stanzas uh, of this uh, song to revive, restore, and renew. And when they are uh, coupled together, they do add meaning. I'd like to read those words, and I'd like for you to really think about what they are saying. Restore my spirit, Lord. I need restored. My heart is weary. Please help me, dear Lord. I stand in need of more strength from your word. Renew my love. Rebuild my faith. Oh, restore my soul. Second stanza. Revive the fire, Lord, deep in my soul. 
Stir my desire to work in your fold. Light in my heart, dear God, your zeal grown cold. Renew my love, rebuild my faith. Oh, restore my soul. Last stanza. Renew my courage, Lord. It needs restored. Yes, uh, my cup, for, uh, my cup is empty. Refill it, dear Lord. Replace all doubts and fear with your faith. So bold. Renew my love, rebuild my faith, restore my soul. Actually, revival should not be necessary. <clears throat> God intended his people to grow without having uh, a relapse of faith and having to be restored again and the such. But the spirit being the way it is, the human spirit, uh, we recognize that it's very hard to live on a high plane of spiritual fervor without help. Now, don't get me wrong. God does not expect us to live on, on a high, uh, high level of excitement all the time. But he does expect, as we examine ourselves in worship such as this, as we examine ourselves, as we find things that need to be corrected, he expects us to correct those things. The word revive really means to bring back to a normal condition, to reproduce again. That's what it uh, is defined as in Webster's Illustrated uh, Dictionary. You'll find the word, or at least the thought, 13 times in the Old Testament, two times in the New Testament. Uh, and from time to time, I think we need to just uh, take time out to tune up. And that's really what I really think we're going to be doing uh, here this morning uh, revival that I'll be discussing uh, today is really a new beginning of obedience to God or, or obedience to God with perhaps uh, a little more fire and fervor and, uh, and uh, meaning as far as, as uh, our souls are concerned. That's really what I'm hoping that we will do. Uh, they will get down and uh, in great deep humility... Examine our souls honestly before God, just individually. Nobody else is, is judging you. You're judging yourself this morning before God Almighty. And to allow revival to break down your same old, same old. The idea of just, well, we'll go through the motions what I want us to do is to get back in contact, and I appreciate the song service. I really did, because that fits exactly into what I'm trying to, uh, to bring about uh, today. Remember that revival is to bring back to a normal condition. And I suggest to you that when it's done properly, then the Lord puts a shine on our face, a sparkle in our eyes, and uh, we can say with enthusiasm and really mean it, it's the greatest thing in the world to be a Christian and to have all of the blessings that God has given us, the fellowship and all the, the spiritual things that in our personal relationship with the Lord to know on a daily basis that I am his and he is mine and all is well with my soul. Years ago at Lubbock Christian College, the late C.E. McGoy, some of you may remember that name, the older heads will, told of starting a gospel meeting in the southern states of the United States, in, in a southern state. And uh, it had started, but it didn't have the enthusiasm that, uh, that really it needed. 
until something happened. One of the brethren, in a prayer, said, Lord, revive us again, and Lord, start with me. And you know what I think? That's what it's going to take. Every individual, from the youngest to the oldest and all in between, to say, we want to start a revival and start with me. Now, all of that is introduction. And I want to introduce now another song based on Scripture, 2 Timothy 1 and verse 6, where Paul says, Stir up the gift of God that is in you by the laying on of my hands. That word stir up is uh, uh, translated in the New American Standard, kindle afresh. There are uh, synonyms of kindle means to light, fire, ignite, inflame. And uh, the NIV will say, fan into a flame. And that idea has uh, parallel words, excite, provoke, stimulate, stir. Now, all of that has been put into a song. And I'm going to ask that we sing that song. And it's Light the Fire. Now, I want us to sing this. I'm sure you know this song well enough that we'll be able to at least stumble through it. But I want you to think about the words. Light the fire in my soul. Okay, let's start. I stand to praise you, but I fall on my knees, my about this morning starts with a spiritual longing. And while the song says, like the fire in my soul, the object, of course, is God. We want God to light the fire in our soul. David speaks more graphically and more often than any of the other writers about having uh, the longing for God, the thirsting for God, and all of that. And I want us to look now At Psalm 42, if you wanted to uh, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 42, I'd like for us to begin reading with verse 1. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? 
Now look at verse 6. Oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore I remember thee from the land of Jordan. Verse 7. Keep deep calls to deep at the sound of thy waterfalls. Verse 8. The last part of the verse. And his song will be with me in the night. Have you ever been thirsty? I mean really thirsty. One of those kinds of thirst that just demands. You are faint and famishing. You've got to have a drink. How long has it been since we've had that feeling? I need God. That's what David was talking about here in Psalm 42. Psalm 84 is also another good passage. I'm going there now. I'd like to read verses 1 and 2. How lovely are thy dwelling places, O Lord of hosts! My soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the, of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. He now goes to corporate worship in the house of God. And I think it very interesting that the triple my in verse 2 is precious. He lays hold of his God with both hands and with fervor because that's what he wants. And the three words, heart, soul, and flesh, mark the whole of man. I want you to think about that. And that's all right there in those first two verses. Now, look at verse 4. How blessed are those who dwell in thy house. They are ever praising thee. Selah. That's a climax. Blessed is the sacred worship when it's from a heart that is meaningful. Now, I think all of us have to work at not, even as we take the communion, for it to not just be something that we just go through. All of us have to do that. I do. I admit that. It's, it's so easy for us to just kind of go through the motions. But I'm saying that when we have a heart that is concentrating upon the fact that we're worshiping an eternal God and Jesus Christ and, and what all he has done for us, then we're going to see that, uh, yes, it is a meaningful thing. And David expresses that so beautifully here. However, sin can play havoc with that spiritual fervor. Unconfessed, unrepented of sin can seriously damage, if not totally extinguish, that fervor, that fire in our soul if we're not careful. David learned that the hard way. I thought it ironic that our brother read Psalm 32 for the reading at the communion table, because I have that in my notes, and I want us to turn to Psalm 32 now. Because in Psalm 32, we find David at an era in his life... It is true that God had said, I have found David, a man after my own heart, Acts 13.22, quoting from 1 Samuel 13.14. And that's true. But there was a time in David's life 
when he broke sacred commandment after sacred commandment after sacred commandment. I think if I remember counting five of the Ten Commandments, those dealing with human relationships, David broke all of them. And uh, there was a time when he was emotionally paying a price. And I believe that Psalm 32 was written at this point. Let's read verses 1 and 2. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now, Paul knew this passage. If you'll go over to Romans 4, verses 7 and 8, as he is is uh, teaching on justification by faith and not works, he'll quote these very, very, very uh, uh, verses. But now then, let's read on. I'm in Psalm 32, beginning with verse 3. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. He's basically saying that because of unconfessed sin, that he his body juices were drying up. And I'm very sorry to tell you that I have personally been there. There was a short time in my life when I had to have a mint in my mouth to keep my tongue from sticking to my teeth. Unconfessed sin will eat your lunch. I thought I'd get an amen on that. It's serious. Guilt will render us unable to think straight, and it will affect every strata of life. But let's look now back to Psalm 32 and look at verse 5. I acknowledge my sin, and so here is the sob of confession, if you're outlining. I acknowledge my sin to thee, and by iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and thou didst forgive the guilt of my sin. David embodied ten English words, actually Five in the Hebrew, so I read. And in that, he is saying, I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. That strips away all pride, brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not talking about anything where pride has anything to do with anything. Confession means to say the same thing about a sin that God does. That's really what confession means, to say the same thing. You remember Isaiah fifty-seven, seventeen that I had in the very introduction of the sermon, that God revives the lowly in spirit and revives those who have a contrite heart. Let's read on. Because we're going to read this whole psalm, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to thee in a time when thou mayest be found. 
Surely in a flood of great waters they will shall not reach him. Thou art my hiding place. Thou dost preserve me from trouble. Thou dost surround me with songs of deliverance. And then comes verses 8 and 9. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or as the mule who have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, you will not come, uh, he will not come near to you. He says, don't be stubborn like, like that. You allow me to bring you to me, and here's going to be the results. Look at verses 8 and 9. I mean, pardon me, 10 and 11. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness, shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy all who are, who are upright in heart. No wonder Psalm 32 is a favorite of many people. Because here it takes a person from the guilt and, and uh, uh, all that is involved there, the guilt of sin, and he ends up with a shout of joy. He is so happy. Uh, well, could David sing that song, Light the fire in my heart. I feel your arms around me as the power of your healing begins. David could feel that. And uh, I believe that he did. Before his death, Augustine, who was a 4th century, we call him a church father, was on his deathbed, and the story is told that he asked that this psalm, this very psalm, Psalm 32, be written on the wall beside his bed so that he could read that And find comfort as he was dying. Wow. You need to mark Psalm 32 for your future. But now then, the big question is, that's how we start a fire and uh, how we make it. Come on, baby. In the individual. But now then, how do we start a fire and make it rage as far as the church is concerned? I I think another good statement is, revive our church, dear Lord. Now, I'm not sitting in in, uh, judgment on the congregation here. Oh, I tell you, Northside is a wonderful church. But nothing is so good, it's kind of like marriage, nothing is so good it couldn't get a little better. And so, I want to challenge us, I really do, to want to do a little bit better. You can have no revival accidentally. You can't uh, have a crop of wheat or whatever accidentally. You can't have a thriving business accidentally. Now, in places, there is no revival because the church has been unconcerned and indifferent. They have been lukewarm. But I'm convinced that God wants to have a church that is on fire for the Lord. So the big question is, How do you start a fire and make it rage? I've got five suggestions, and I think that you're going to find them to be very helpful. First of all, my challenge is to set the church on fire. How are we going to do it? A deep love for Christ and the church. That's the first thing we have to to do. 
There's a spark of spiritual fire within every one of us, and we've got to allow that to be uh, stirred and fanned into a flame. Charles Spurgeon was once asked how he got 10,000 people to come and and, uh, hear him preach on a regular basis there in London, England. And he did. 10,000, that's a bunch of people. You know what he said? He said, I set myself on fire with Christ and all of London comes to see me burn. I'm suggesting to you that when we get the majority of our members really on fire for the Lord, everyone around us is going to observe and they're going to be positively affected. But how do we do that? Well, how do you get uh, a, a fire going? You take a coal and put it next to wood and you fan and you blow on that and pretty soon you've got a blaze. And what we've got to do is to lay the Lord next to us. How do we do that? Well, you think on spiritual things, Philippians 4, 8. You seek those things that are above, Colossians 3, 1 through 3. Um, you sing spiritual songs. You You just... I have a whole lesson entitled... Uh, 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 practicing God awareness. You practice God awareness day and night. And you think about God and, and spiritual matters. And I'm here to tell you that it will then, finally, a spiritual spontaneous combustion, just like combustion in an, in an, uh, an engine drives a piston, spiritual spontaneous combustion will drive you and you will be on fire for the Lord. Next comes exciting spiritual worship. Exciting spiritual worship. The goal, no dull, dreary, drab, lifeless, lukewarm worship services. And that's no, no implication that that's what we have. But I'm just simply saying the goal is we're not ever going to have those kind of worship services. A worship is a celebration of the Christian's salvation. But it's also a confrontation to sin, whether it's in our lives or perhaps a person who has never owned Christ. Uh, it is also a call to commitment and dedication. Our songs should be rousing and stimulating, thought through. Uh, some of them are slow and thoughtful, and that's, that's, there's a place for those kinds of songs. But then enthusiastically led and sung, uh, make sure that the prayers and the songs are more than just words. They're, they're uh, from the heart, and they're what we really uh, are pouring out our soul to the Lord. There must be an air of excitement. And uh, we must uh, be excited about being able to associate with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. All of that is very important. And then there must be a program of work involving the majority uh, of, of people. Uh, I have a reading here by William Walker. And I'd like to share that. And I'd like for you to take it to heart. In the church today, we have come to think of only one man in the congregation as being the minister, instead of realizing that every Christian is in reality a minister. 
The ministry is not something done to the church, but something done by the church. Those who seek to follow in the steps of Jesus will do well to heed his statement. The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. To many of the sons of God today come to be ministered unto rather than to minister. The result is that the, that the saints are no longer participants in the arena, but spectators in the grandstand. Because of this attitude, we are delivering babies who never intend to graduate, and enlisting uh, soldiers who never intend to fight, our motto has become, Here he is, Lord, send him. The ship of Zion is no longer manned by a volunteer crew working for the sheer love of the captain, but it is steered by a pilot and an assistant pilot, while the remainder are paying passengers who are just going along for the ride. Somewhere along the way, we have missed the very essence of the Christian concept And the result is that we have the greatest accumulation of unused talent and the richest deposit of untouched ability of any group of people on earth. If we're going to be honest in our plea to uh, restoration, it is time that we begin to revolutionize our thinking so that every soldier will don the armor and every child of God will be active in ministering. Let's quit being spectators and get where the action is. So, the thing I get out of that is the ministry is not something done to the church. It's something that is done by the church. And let me tell you something. When people get in the action and they begin seeing the results of their work, they will be excited. There will be a fire in the soul, guarantee. That's just one more way to start a fire and to make it rage. Next, a genuine commitment to evangelism. Brother Kenneth Strachan, early missionary to Costa Rica, studied the movements of many of the uh, churches in that area, and he came to this conclusion. Listen to this. Any group will grow to the extent that it has its members directly involved in propagating that which it teaches. Do you want an evangelistic fire in your soul? You began propagating the gospel. You began taking that gospel to other people, just talking about the Lord. Gossip the gospel, I think, is is a, a scriptural term. And so, a genuine commitment to evangelism. And then, lastly, enthusiasm. The late Ira North, I got this from one of his books, wrote... Enthusiasm will build buildings and influence people. It will turn multitudes to righteousness. God intended for Christians to be on fire with enthusiasm, determination, and enthusiasm. Enthusiasm actually means God in us. So it's back to being God-centered. And so, brethren, let me say, when we get humble enough and low enough, and desperate enough, and passionate enough, and broken enough, and prayerful enough, God will send us a revival such as we have never seen or can imagine. I'd like to close the lesson this morning 
by looking at Second Corinthians, or Chronicles rather, chapter 7 and verse 14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. That is the answer to how to start a fire, to make it rage. That is the answer to how to revive my spirit, Lord. As I close, I ask you, are you as close to the Lord as you want to be? You know, Paul had said, stir up, kindle afresh, fan into a flame, the gift of God that is in you. Is there one or more in the congregation this morning who has a need to just rededicate your life to the Lord? In my first uh, session this morning, I challenged us with promise keepers. And it could be that you was in that class and you determined at that point, I need to repent of not keeping my promises. If you stand in need of this invitation in any way, we encourage you to come. All together we stand and sing.